A lot of people think of Easter as the end of Lent, and it is in a way, but it's really the beginning of a season called Easter Tide, 50 days leading up to Pentecost. So even though last Sunday was Easter, so is today. This reading comes from the Gospel of John, just on the heels of his telling the story of Jesus' resurrection. Listen to these words. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews or Judeans, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nail in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later... His disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. When the writer of John's gospel finishes telling the story of Jesus' resurrection, the first Easter, he's not done. He adds a sequel, two, in fact, that we just read. In the first one, they're gathered in the house, the doors are locked, there's fear, there's the story that Mary Magdalene and Peter and another disciple had seen the Lord previously during that very day, but, you know, maybe they were hallucinating. We don't know, but it seems like they were gathered still in somber, sullen silence. I kind of picture them pawing the dirt with their sandaled feet, and then, even though the doors are closed, Jesus slips into the room and says, Peace be with you. Which, by the way, is why every single worship service we say, and now please stand and greet those around you with signs of God's peace. It's not like St. Augustine made that up or some seminary. It's the words of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. This is a Sunday kind of thing. And it doesn't really happen in other gatherings. They don't do that in city council. They don't do it at the Royals game. Please stand up, greet those around you. With... No, not in the PTA. It's a church thing that happens on Sundays in the name of the risen Christ. But Thomas wasn't there, not in the first one. To borrow a line from the musical Hamilton, he wasn't in the room where it happens. And who's ready to sing and dance, right? You just can't help yourself. I mean, it's such a catchy tune. My wife and I streamed it on Apple TV a couple of years ago, but two weeks ago it was in town and we saw it at the music hall. And it was 
everything we expected. Two and a half hours of amazing, catchy tunes. You can help yourself but want to sing along and dance and all of that. And if you don't know, that song refers to a meeting that happened behind closed doors between Hamilton and Jefferson and Madison. And that's where the phrase comes from. They were in the room where it happens. Now, I don't want you to think I'm weird. Maybe too late. But while I enjoyed the musical thoroughly, during that song, it hit me. This is a great metaphor for how to read the Gospels, and in particular, this story. Here's what I mean. Thomas wasn't in the room where it happened, right? And so Jesus comes back to greet them, to say to Thomas, peace be with you, and to bestow that greeting. He wasn't in the room where it happened. And the thing is, neither were John's readers. John writes to a group of people who live 70 years after the time of Jesus. They weren't in the room where it happened. So when Jesus speaks this beatitude, blessed are those who've never seen him but believe, that's a word for John's church and ours. In some ways, we are back there, or maybe better yet, they are here in this room. You might think of this as the quantum theory of spirituality. Somehow, two places, two times at the same moment. Or, or maybe a more accessible metaphor. You, you've heard me talk about this Bible and art tour that Donna, a docent, and I lead at the Nelson. And by the way, it'll be up for bid at the auction here in June. But it's the same thing we do every time. We, we pick about eight to ten pieces. They're portrayals of biblical scenes in art, either in paintings or sculptures. And it's usually about eight or ten, but it's about halfway through that somebody has this, this kind of insight. Now, it was there all along in most of the pieces, but let's say it's the one of the marriage feast at Cana. That's a story in John's Gospel where he's at a wedding, turns all that water into wine. Well, it's this beautiful, big, huge painting, and we're looking at it, and Donna's saying some stuff, and I'm talking about it, and then someone will go, you know, uh... It's like the architecture and the costumes don't look like the time of Jesus. This looks like 16th century Italy. Bingo. That's it. it it's the blending of the moments. And we'll even show how the artist, Sebastiano Ricci, painted himself standing behind Jesus and the wedding party. That's kind of what's going on here. I, I read just this week that Rembrandt, who painted many, many biblical scenes, Three times he painted himself into a Bible story. There was one time when it was the storm-tossed boat. You remember they're on the Sea of Galilee. The big storm comes up. They turn to Jesus. He's asleep. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And one of the people on the boat is Rembrandt, and he's looking right at us. Another time, he painted himself as the prodigal son, lost and far from home. But perhaps the most famous is he painted himself helping to crucify Jesus. You don't have to be a theologian or a psychologist to figure that one out. But here's the thing. The crucifixion is not the end of the story. It's not the climax. The resurrection is. 
Has anyone dared to paint themselves into the resurrection? That's why I love this book. It's in our church library. John Dominic Crossan, biblical scholar, and his wife, Sarah, they traveled throughout the Mediterranean world, going to churches, looking at frescoes on the walls and on the ceilings, looking at early Christian art of the resurrection, portrayals of the resurrection. And there's different ones, obviously. There's, there's a common theme, though. And you've probably seen something like it. Jesus is not hard to figure out who he is. I mean, he's got these scars. He's being raised. He's kind of floating out of the tomb. He's got that halo, that aura around him. And the people watching, they're, they're either stunned guards, fearful, or delighted disciples, albeit in shock. And he's, he's raised up. But as the Crossans point out, that's in Western art. Protestant, Catholic art, but in Eastern art, in Eastern Orthodox art, like in Greece, in Turkey, it's a different story. Yeah, he's still there. He's got the aura. He's, he's got his, his, his body floating up. He's kind of midair, but his hands are reaching down, and he pulls up Adam and Eve, appearance of humanity. In Eastern art, it's not just Jesus who's raised. We are raised up as well. I know I've told you before that I came to faith as a freshman in college, spring semester of my first year. The fall semester didn't go so well because apparently drinking a lot and smoking a lot of pot does not do well with grades. And so I pretty much flunked out. And I suspect the spring semester would not have been any better, except there was this young lady in all five of my classes named Mary Magdalene. Well, her name was Terry, but she was Mary Magdalene to me. I mean, she was. She was the one who told me about the risen Jesus. And it took, sort of. I was out with my buddy Dennis, drunk, high, Saturday night, and out of the blue, I said, I'm going to church tomorrow. And I went, and nothing happened. I went the next week. It was Easter. And the way I know that is because all these ladies had on these beautiful hats and gloves, and nothing happened. But on the Sunday after that, it happened. It's very hard to describe religious experience. But one way I would describe it is on that day, Christ reached down and lifted me up out of the grave. Or maybe on that day, I realized that he had done so 2,000 years before. I, I don't know. But I do know it made all the difference in the world, in my world. Today's my anniversary, I suppose. Give yourself an A if you notice this. Both stories, both sequels happen on a Sunday. The first one's Easter Sunday. Jesus appears, says, peace be with you. The second one, it's a Sunday. It's like he waits a week. But I think what John is doing is telling us that that's what happens on Sundays. The Christ slips into the room and raises us up. And yes, some Sundays we miss. We're not in the room where it happens, but Christ is always in the room where it happens, always slipping in to raise us up. 
My good friend Bill Stansel taught theology for years at Rockhurst University, retired just a year or two ago. Many years ago, we taught together on faculty. We were both Baptists at the time, and, but when that was no longer a good fit, I ended up in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, and he ended up Episcopal. He's a member of a small Episcopal church up in Parkville, Missouri, but he loves to go every once in a while to the big Episcopal church downtown, Grace and Holy Trinity. Years ago, he went midweek during Lent to a service. He was the only one in the room, the only person. And the priest and the acolytes, they processed in, went through the entire liturgy as if it were a packed house. And Bill just kept looking around. And when it was over, he knew the priest. They talked, and the priest said, well, I determined long ago I don't do this for God or crowd. I mean, for crowds. I do this for God. I, I do this in the name of the risen Christ. Can you picture that place or this one with just one, two? You know that phrase, where two or three are gathered? Well, it turns out two or three are gathered becomes three or four because Christ slips into the room. In this place of stone and timber and glass and with those doors that we have, we remember every Sunday that this is the room where it happens. 